There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. It's great to be here with you uh, for another episode um, with one of my favorite guests with Mark Levy. So I'm excited to be talking to Mark again. Uh, you're one of a, my, you're, Chris, you're one of my favorite hosts of this show. Of this show. <laughs> show right. It's, so we're on the same page. <laughs> So I'm one of your favorite hosts of the Business Elevation Show. Right, exactly. That's a real compliment. You're in the top three. (laughs) No, I love you, man. Thank you. (laughs) I thought there was a compliment in there for a minute, but I realized (laughs) it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Yeah, it's good to to have you back again. And uh, we we only chatted a few weeks ago, which, um, uh, but I had to have Mark back. I'll explain in a moment. But I just want to mention uh, last week's show, uh, we had Jane Handsome on the show, and Jane's amazing. Jane lives out in the Caribbean island of Nevis. Uh, she's um, a world um, Ironman and triathlon champion. Uh, she's also a board member of an organization that's bringing triathlon and Ironman onto the commercial stage um, around the globe with five huge events, which are all being massively televised. And we talked really about her her journey and um, her journey of serendipity and how you know, marketing and then a, a, an interest in, uh, which only grew really in her early 40s for uh, the marathon and triathlon led to her becoming a world champion to, and uh, uh, for both Ironman and triathlon. And even now she's doing the most amazing events around the globe, as well as uh, helping bring this fascinating sport uh, to the world. So if you're interested in, uh, in those kind of things and how they also are leveraging uh, this opportunity and positioning it, uh, which links in nicely with Mark, then do take a listen to that show. Now, you might also be interested, if you enjoy the interview with Mark, you might be interested in the interview that we did a few weeks ago, because Mark, um, I called upon Mark and uh, hadn't interviewed Mark for a few years, but I, I loved the conversation we'd had before. And I thought I need to reach out to him because uh, we always have a good time. Uh, he's uh, he's full of ideas. He's full of inspiration, full of wisdom. We get to talk about all sorts of things. I think with bears, we used to talk about quite a bit. So he used to have them in his garden um, in New York State. And um, Mark suddenly turned the interview on me because he said, well, Chris, you know, you've been through some real challenges of late with your health. And I think I need to be interviewing you. So he persuaded me that he should interview me on keeping your head when others are losing theirs. So we did an interview on that, which is a great privilege, but I needed to get Mark as one of the smartest people I know uh, to talk with me on a, on a topic. So we, we caught up uh, again and he was about to do this big, big speech on relevancy. And I thought, hey, you know how to be relevant. That's really interesting. I've never really talked about that in what's now 471 hours of the Business Elevation Show over 11 years. We've not really tackled that subject. So I thought this is brilliant. So um, we are going to talk today about relevancy. It's different forms. You know, how do you ensure when you're speaking to others that you're relevant, when you're selling to them, marketing to them? Uh, how do you under- understand what's relevant to them? Uh, now, Mark is a 
He's a global consultant. He's an expert on positioning and on strategy. He's the founder of Levy Innovation LLC, and he helps you to differentiate what you're doing with a big, sexy idea. And he's helped people like Simon Sinek, and he's worked on the Harvard Business School and the History Channel. And also, he's a Hall of Fame um, consultant. And I think one of the things we'll talk about today, which I find fascinating, he's, he's also a little bit like Jane. He's got a passion for something. You know, James was triathlon and Ironman, but for Mark, he's magic and he's, he's a magician. And he's not only, you know, a magician that does little tricks for you at, uh, at, at uh, you know, a little a party that you might go to or, or you know, a dinner event. Um, he actually uh, creates magic tricks and also puts on magic shows. So he created something, a show called Chamber Magic about, well, 22 years ago, I think it was. And it's become New York's highest rated live show. It's even higher on TripAdvisor than um, Hamilton, believe it or not, in New York. And uh, the magician Steve Cohen, the millionaire's magician, um, hosts that. But Mark is um, absolutely you know, behind that. So clearly he created something that's hugely relevant, even 22 years on. So let's talk about relevancy. And a big welcome to... It's only my friend, Mark Levy. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. That, yeah. I, uh, I had not really talked about relevancy before myself, but um, I was, uh, I, I did this talk and essentially I, I opened it with a, with something that had happened a few years ago. Uh, um, about three years ago, I had met three or four years ago, I had met an old client of mine. I had worked with him many times, David Muirman Scott. I had met him at a National Speakers Association meeting. Uh, I forget where we were. And so we sat down to have a drink. And I think of David Muirman Scott as being fearless, right? He has conquered the world. He has just done everything. He is the biggest selling social media book of all time, The New Rules of Marketing and PR. Yeah. Um, he's on the stages with Tony Robbins, like Tony Robbins has him speaking there to those giant arena kind of things. He's David has been to over 100 countries. He's been to all 50 states. He learned how to surf. You know, he's my age. He learned how to surf. Like he swam in Antarctic, he's just done everything. And so I asked him after not having seen him for a few years, I just decided, I said, David, is there anything that scares you? And he said, without hesitation, I, I didn't even finish the sentence. He said, yeah, being seen as irrelevant. Mm. You know, he said, I am scared of being seen as this person who is standing up there and what I'm telling people has nothing to do with the way their lives are or the way the world is. Yes. You know what I mean? So because of that, because he so wants to stay relevant, right? He, he is constantly searching out ideas that other people have not explored and stories other people you need to visit his blog or so, you know, like stories, posts, books, all kinds of stuff. And it's all predicated on what other people really are not talking about. And that is an important part of staying relevant. So I thought if someone who's achieved as much as David has, if, if staying relevant is that important to him, it's probably an important subject for me to explore. 
So that's what I did in one of these talks that I do, one of these keynotes that I did recently. What do you, by the way, Chris, what do you think relevance is? What do you, how would you, I, I don't have some perfect definition. That's why I'm asking you. Ooh, okay. I, I think it's, I think it's an, an appropriateness to, you know, an, a, your audience right. or your recipient and maybe something that is not only appropriate, it perhaps engages them at a heart level and they can see it in, you know, they can see that it is appropriate and highly relevant to them because they engage with it, you know, it's it, to the, to their life or their business or, um, right. you know, and maybe, maybe um, actually he, you know, he understands me. Right. Right. I love that. Uh, um, you know, and, and I love where, you, you know, you started off, uh, by the way, I'm talking about this subject from the point of view of being a student about it. I, I'm certainly no expert on, on relevancy, but, and it's definitions, but I, I mean, that idea of being appropriate in the situation, in other words, it's something that needs to be paid attention to yes. in the situation at its most basic level. To me, that's, that's super interesting. In studying relevancy, when I was going to speak about it, a, a, a few things. So I read a, a, a book by a, a wonderful consultant and speaker, Bill Cates. I think it was called Radical Relevancy. Uh, and so Bill, in uh, he said something like, relevancy is in the eye of the beholder. Mm. So in other words, what that sounds like to me is in no situation is there something that's objectively relevant? I mean, I guess you could say human beings need air, so maybe air is relevant. I don't know, like you could, you could probably knock that idea around a bit, but to me, the idea of the subjectivity of relevance is super important. So I was thinking about, you know, what's relevant to me, like what's important to me, whether it's important to someone else or not, what's important to the other person, whether it's important to me or not, and then what are the things that are relevant to us both? So that was just, I'm not saying this, I'm being overly profound in what I'm saying here, but that I thought what Bill had said was super interesting with essentially relevancy is subjective, it's in the eye of the beholder. Another thing that I had studied about uh, relevancy or I thought about when I was thinking about relevancy, right? Because you know me, I think through subjects in, very comprehensive and unusual ways. Mm. So one is the idea of relevancy is not lasting. So what is relevant now was may not have been relevant in the past and may not be relevant in the future. Put it differently, what's relevant today is irrelevant tomorrow. So it's interesting when I was talking to someone about this, they pointed me to a new store. This was like three weeks ago. They had pointed me to a news story that had just come out the day before, and it was about Apple. And Apple, they said, Apple, and this is official classification for Apple. It says, if an Apple product is five years old, the company classifies that product as quote unquote vintage. Mm. So if it's five years mm. old, it's vintage. If a product is 10 years old, it is considered quote unquote obsolete. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Five years vintage, 10 years obsolete. And, you know, those aren't just words. Those, you know, 
Apple treats those products in different ways, you know, with, with how they support them or so. So this idea of relevancy um, uh, to me has tremendous ramifications. Like imagine uh, um, um, relevance, relevance is essentially meaning, I think, Again, you can argue, you could say, Mark, you got this totally wrong. Yeah. But relevance is about, here's what meaning is to me in this situation. Yes. So like, if you have a life without relevance, that means you have a life that is empty. Mm. That means you have a life that's being ignored. Like the repercussions for being irrelevant are huge. I understand why David was so scared of it before. Yeah. You know, it. Um, I don't know, where, where, where do you... What are you taking from this? Well, what what I mean, what I'm taking, what's what's got me thinking with this actually is that you know your work when you're you're working helping people with propositioning and 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 strategy is surely one of the things that you do is you help them become relevant to an audience that they want to reach. So That's think right. about you know you work with Simon Sinek. So you say that you're um. You're a student of this, and I, you know, I love the the humbleness and the way you're thinking about it. But I, I my, what's coming to me is I think you've been working with relevancy for a lot of years. Yeah, I was being intentionally humble. <laughs> I, I actually think, right, uh, you know, I'm the live all and end all of it. But yeah. no, joking. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, no, I appreciate you saying that. Um, um, it's it, because to me, the idea of being relevant. I mean. Like everyone has to realize this again, everyone listening who's in business or doing anything. So relevancy is meaning. So it's like, is what you're doing meaningful to you or to other people? Yeah. Relevancy is situational. Like what is meaningful and, and important to you today or to other people may not be that way tomorrow. Yeah. Like these, and you know, it, it's really this idea like this idea of relevancy is being situational. Like what's relevant to me here may not be relevant to me there. And so I'm always interested in what, uh, like an aesthetic of mine is always, what are people retaining from a situation, from a talk, from a product, from a service? Like, what is it that they remember? Yes, because to me, that's one of the ultimate tests of relevancy. And forgive me if I said this during a, a, a well, I'll say something I don't think I had said it in previous uh, a, a previous discussion of ours. So in thinking about this idea of of relevancy, um, you said that I do magic, right? And that yeah. I co-created the highest rated live show in New York City, uh, and it's a magic show rated harder than Hamilton. Right, it's called Chamber Magic. So I'm not sure if I said this story before, but the way Steve Cohen, the magician, and I created that show was he, he would do these tricks that we created or that we routined. And then afterwards, I would talk to people in the audience. I would go into the audience and I would say very informally, it was not a formal focus group. And I'd say, I'm, in the sh I'm with the show. And I'm just interested, what were your favorite tricks? And because the tricks needed to be the show itself, but the tricks also needed to be the advertising or the marketing for the show. Yes. And I thought that if people weren't going to talk about a trick, 
15 seconds after seeing the show, they were not going to talk about it a month later when they were telling their friends about the show. Mm. So I would listen to what they were saying and tricks that they talked a lot of, uh, uh, a lot about were great, but then tricks that they hardly talked about at all or didn't talk about at all. Steve and I would either, either retool those tricks and make them anew, or we'd pull them out altogether and substitute other tricks in order to put them into the show. Because it was this idea of what are people taking away from the situation that gives a real underlining as to what's relevant to them. And uh, speaking of magic, it reminds me of another story. So a wonderful magician, I, he's I think six times magician of the year, uh, American magician named Michael Amar. So Michael, when he was uh, younger, he volunteered in nursing homes. And because he was so fascinated with magic, he would of course talk to the residents and say, have you ever seen a magician live in person? Now, by the way, most people have not. I don't know if anyone listening has ever thought about it. It's not some big question in the world, but most people have not seen a magician live in person. But those people who did, see a magician live in person, Michael would say to them, what tricks do you remember? And he said, infallibly, they would never remember big spectacles. They didn't tell him about making a lady float or sawing a woman in half or producing colorful silks from an empty hat or, you know, they would not talk about these things. Instead, they would talk about tricks that happened to them personally. Mm. So it was always, oh, this guy made a card appear in my pocket. Oh, I was holding a silver coin and it changed into a British penny, you know, like a copper penny. It, would, it was always, he read my mind. It was always things that happened to them. So to me, when I'm trying to differentiate or when I'm trying to create a book or a blog post or a show or anything, it's always, how do I make this as personal as possible to the reader or the listener? We want them to be able to say, like, and this is a design parameter for me, right? What I'm about to say, like, we want them to be able to say, you won't believe what happened to me. Yes. Right. You won't believe what happened to me. Yes. And so I'm always going for that kind of freak out, that kind of when it comes to differentiation, when it's working with clients, when it's working with an organization, like what is it where they're going to it's they're going to remember it. It's going to knock them for a loop and they're going to say, oh, my, you won't believe you won't believe this. Like like how appropriate this is for us like how relevant this is for us you won't friggin believe it yes anyway what are you gonna say? so yeah you just you, so you just got me uh, my mind going back to uh i was once on a, a sort of self-development program i had to do something that i was i was nervous about um as, as homework and, and face into a fear and, and it was uh speaking on the underground in london because no one speaks on the underground so what, what I did is I actually spoke to you an mean You mean literally being on the underground while you're speaking? Yeah. So I, what I did is I actually stood up and I spoke to an entire carriage on the underground. Ah. Uh, uh, and uh, I mean, one person jumped off and jumped into ah. the next carriage. And 
actually suggested people should shake hands and say hello because we don't normally do that and and some people did but then I went back to the program which had 200 people on it and um, basically what was said from the stage someone had said you won't believe what happened to me on the underground today somebody spoke uh, on the underground to an entire carriage and they said just by any chance are they here so I ended up um, so I was like, it was him it was him and I ended up with a microphone I had to explain what I'd done um, but they use those words, you know, you, you won't believe I what happened. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I was terrified. I've got to be honest. <laughs> but, uh, oh, no, but that you did, did it. it. You did it. Like it's this. And again, uh, you know, I, I, I'm all about helping organizations and companies stand out, right? Their big mm. idea. So I tend to look at these things. Like some of this stuff you can look at with a sophistication, like what's the idea here? Uh, uh, what, how is this going to help people be impactful in their own lives? It's less about you being impactful to them and more about how they're going to be impactful in their own lives. Yeah. Like you can think about your business and what you're offering and how you're trying to stand out and your products and services from that level of sophistication when it comes to being relevant, differentiated, but also sometimes just thinking about how to stay relevant in a way that allows you to stand out in simple ways is one way I've been using a lot lately. I don't know why I keep on saying this, but when I've been, I, I speak a lot, uh, I do keynotes a lot. So one thing that I've been talking a lot lately is like in New York City, there, there is a deli, the Carnegie Deli. And what the Carnegie Deli did, maybe other delis do this too, but they would serve you sandwiches that were that are about a foot high, mm. like literally a foot high, not figuratively a foot high, literally a foot high. And so the first thing it would do would stop people in their in like with it would stop conversation. You'd get you'd have someone bring over these sandwiches to your table and it would be what, you know, like that. And people would stop. They take pictures of it. They post them to Instagram, you know, they like in the moment they'd have conversations about them. They'd start talking to people at other tables about the sandwich. Yeah. You know, and so it's this unexpected thing that that it has to do. It, it has to do with the situation, like to have a gigantic san sandwich in a situation that doesn't call for it is not interesting. You know what I mean? It's, 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 if you were just walking around and someone gave you a foot high sandwich, you would actually probably hate that because yeah. how are you going to walk around? Like the sandwich is obviously not to eat. The sandwich is obviously to have a conversation about, but when you're sitting there and so much of eating is conversation, you know, like to me, I'm, I'm so poor at taste, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm so, so, uh, you know, like, like I don't have a, a good palate. So to me, it's more about who's, it's more about who I'm with and what the atmosphere is, like where I am. And so to me, the whole thing is about, is about your conversation and the experience in the eatery. So here's something that addresses, it changes the experience and makes it, uh, you know, in the moment. Yes. And so in other words, it's an experience changer of tremendous relevancy. 
is I, I know I'm babbling a bit here because I get very excited by this stuff, but it's right. It's not some huge profound thing. They're bringing you a giant sandwich, but you're there for conversation and right. And for experience. And it gives to you in the snap of a finger in, of your fingers and all businesses can do something like that. Yeah. So it differentiates you, makes you different, makes you stand out. Um, People remember it. They talk about it. It changes the experience. It does everything. Yes. In one sandwich. Yes. I, I remember, I think it's uh, comparethemarket.com when they introduced the meerkats. I don't know if you have those in the, yeah. in the US, but that's, you know, a company like that having cuddly meerkats was uh, so unusual, you know, for, in, in an industry that was actually really quite bland. Right. And, and suddenly, you know, people, people like meerkats and they like people have an affection with cuddly toys going back to childhood. And, uh, suddenly it became about the meerkats. Right. <laughs> it stood out, you know, it stood out uh, and people would buy products and they get a nice cuddly meerkat through the post. Right, right. You know, but that, so that was, I guess that's an example. It, it was, you know, emotionally people connected with it. Right. Uh, I think what it is that you and I are saying is relevancy is sometimes head on. It's straightforward in a situation mm. and sometimes it's a side item. But yes. that it's so relevant it, 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 in an off-center way that people get attracted to it. Yes. I, I, yeah. Yeah, it gets excellent, excellent. We're going to get a commercial break now. We'll explore this some more after the break. And we'll find out more about um, how you, know, you can maybe use relevance yourself uh, with, with your positioning and things. So do join us in just a couple of minutes. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Mark Levy. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking, actually, I've got, got an idea that's come to me now about how I can use re relevance within my work, do feel that you could drop me an email Always like to hear from you, Chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Uh, and uh, Mark, we, we, you were chatting about before the break about um, you know, experience, um, changer of tremendous relevancy, um, giving us some ideas and some um, kind of thoughts and reflections on this um, topic. It can be something which uh, you know could be, could be something could be relevant for a long time, or it could be you know a situation that changes. Uh, and uh, has less relevancy over time. So I guess we've got to keep our look at continuously keeping ourselves relevant. Um, how do you best, when you're speaking to an audience, keep yourself relevant? I know in that, the, the speech we were talking about on relevancy, you, you know, you had a question mark, didn't you, about the audience? Oh, yeah. And how, do you, how do you make sure that you are relevant when, when you're standing in front of a group of, a group of people? Sure. Well, there's a lot of answers to that, but I... I always go for the most interesting answer to me at the time. Yeah. By the way, that's, that's another design parameter of mine. It's always like, 
what's most interesting? Like, not just what's the right answer, what's the right answer that's most interesting? Yes. So to me, um, I always, when I think about, uh, so I could answer your question in 25 different ways, but the way I choose to answer right now, because I'm finding it interesting at this moment, is this, that um, I always try to think about what's relevant for people when I'm speaking to them in the moment. Yes. And where the thing that's so interesting uh, to me about that is I was thinking about this concept of relevancy and I was thinking about how apps on your phone, right? That mm. they're all about, you and I may have discussed this perhaps even off, off, off mic, um, is the fact that apps entire existence, the reason why there are so many different apps entirely has to do with relevancy. In other words, what's the job to do in the moment? So the reason why I came to this is I was with friends of mine and we, we had just watched a parade and we were walking around a town in Pennsylvania and we were looking at people's lawns and some people had beautiful gardens and they started, a person started to ask about what a particular plant was. And so I pulled out my iPhone and I opened it up to an app called Picture This, which I held it up to the plant or the tree or the shrub. I did multiple things. And when you take a picture, it takes about five seconds. And then it show, it tells you what that plant is. What's its Latin name? What are its nicknames? What's its common name? How do you care for it? Alternate photos of that. Uh, websites that are related to that plant, whatever its conditions it thrives in, and so forth. It was like all this stuff. And it made me realize that, that that app is not helpful, as obvious as this sounds, that app isn't helpful if I'm in my basement. No. If I'm cleaning my basement and there's no plants anywhere or whatnot, that, but, but suddenly when I'm in a place where there's plants, suddenly that app has relevance. And I thought about like all apps are really about a designated job that appeals to you in the moment. And that's why there's right. There's so many different apps. And by the way, in, in creating immediacy and relevance for the other people, when I was with, I just did this naturally. It's just kind of my background as a magician. I showed them about this app and how it worked. And then I handed my phone to the person who was the gardener. And I said, here, you do it. Like they didn't ask me to do that. Mm. But like essentially, because who asked to take your phone and do it? But I just thought, no, no, I want you to experience. I want you to experience it. It's the idea of you won't believe what happened to me. Because yes. I know if I was just showing it to her on my phone, that was cool. But there'd still be a separation of experience there. If she was doing it, it would be the full experience right then and there. Right. So it's the idea of what's relevant in the situation and how do we bring the relevance home as forcefully, forcefully as we possibly can in the moment. By the way, as a public speaker, as a guy who speaks about differentiation to organizations, one of the ways I commonly do that is I'll say to people, you know, I want you to think about a situation right now where you're losing sleepover. 
you know, maybe it's blah, 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 you know, and I start to say like some examples. All right, I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to discuss this situation. What's the situation? Why is it such a hassle for you? Why is it so painful? You know what I mean? That to me is essentially kind of producing the app and taking the picture of the plant and having them take the picture itself in the moment. Mm -hmm. I don't want them working with my knowledge. I want them working with their own knowledge. So that's one of the ways that I force relevance into the situation. Does yeah. that make sense? You asked me about making things relevant. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, just, I've yeah. just been watching um, Glastonbury on TV. I don't know if you... I have not. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's a ma obviously a massive festival over five, oh, or, right. six, five or six days and in, in the five days, I think, in the United Kingdom. Um, right. A few hundred thousand people. And I think they have a hundred different stages and uh, multiple bands. Uh, it was uh, Paul McCartney and uh, various people who were headlining. Sir Paul. Yeah, Sir Paul, yeah, Sir Paul. Um, but, but, but I mean, just look, looking at that this weekend and actually seeing how that, that, that has proliferated as an event. And you know, the, the reason it's proliferated with so many different side stalls and stands and side events and niches and, uh, and it's it's like a, a smorgasbord that kind of represents right the interests and the and the relevance of, of for for the audience and not only that now a massive global TV audience too. Um, so so I think there's something in that, isn't there? About you yeah. know the, the way that's grown because of the individual relevances to people and and, and how that's expanded over time. It's different every time, you know. I I love that. I love. I didn't know where you were going at first. I was preoccupied that you didn't call him Sir Paul. Sir Paul, from, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Apologies, apologies you, if he's listening. I do apologize. Can you be arrested for not calling him <laughs> Sir Paul? Is that? He's great. So, yeah. Anyway, um, but like, I didn't know where you were going initially, but it's the idea of so many varied acts would appeal to, would be relevant. Like if you were just with one specific kind of music, it's going to be hyper relevant, you know, micro relevancy for a certain group. But if you want to appeal to a larger group, they take like the, the smorgasbord or the salad bar approach. It's like, here, you can have this, you can have this. Here's different yeah. salad dressing. Here's eight different dressings. Here's 15 different things as your entree. Here's, you know, you can custom make it. That's exact. It's a choose your own adventure thing, yeah. right? That's all about creating relevance. And again, if, if people listening might wonder, oh, are we debating some abstract thing? Is this like a philosophical, like, you know, like Kierkegaard type of thing? Not at all. Like this is totally a business. This is a business conversation. It's like knowing that, that what's relevant to you may not be relevant to the other person. It reminds me again, and forget, I apologize if, if I've said this before on other broadcasts, but um, Seth Godin, who I idolize, he's wonderful, in his, in his book, All Marketers Are Liars, mm. which he retitled as All Marketers Are Storytellers, I think. Mm. Um, but uh, he says something like, taste is subjective. Uh, oh, so there's there's a chain rest there is a chain restaurant in America for our international audiences called IHOP, International House of Pancakes. IHOP <laughs> is its name. So in his book, All Marketers Are Liars, Seth says something like, "Taste is subjective, 
if you think IHOP has the best pancakes, then they do because you'll make them the best. Yes. Right? If you think this place has the best pancakes, then they do. Yeah. Why? You're going to, in your mind, yes. you're going to make them the best. It doesn't matter whether they're objectively the best or not. And by the way, it doesn't even matter if such a thing as objective best exists. It's like, as far as you're concerned, they're the best. So, right, that's it. And so that's the idea with subjectivity to understand just how, like, we take certain ideas or, or about our products and our services and we just assume that they're important to everyone mm. and they're just not. No. They don't really, like some stuff is, but some stuff just doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, um, I teach people, one of the things that I teach people is I have them to create something that I call the differentiation cheat sheet. So a differentiation cheat sheet is what it is. It's all kinds of ideas, insights, facts, statistics, and stories that show that you are a certain thing in the marketplace. That yeah. you, and I'll explain what this means, that you represent a certain idea in the marketplace. So here's exactly what that means. Um, so years ago, I was working with an industrial architect firm in the Princeton area in New Jersey. And industrial architect, right? They don't build houses, right? They build like industrial complexes for like Sibagaygi and like pharmaceutical company. Like they build office buildings and office complexes and so. And I asked the principal of the, of the, the industrial architect firm because I was trying to differentiate him. Uh, and his firm. And I said, what is the biggest problem that the that uh, your potential customers have with industrial architects? Now, what's the biggest problem that they have with you? Because they don't know you, yeah. but they know you're in that industry. So what are the stereotypes that they're going to have about industrial architects before they know what you do? Yeah. And he said, that's so easy. I'll tell it to you. He said, there's no second choice. There's one choice. He said, business people think of industrial architects as unreliable business people. They think that all that we think of ourselves as artists, that all we care about is building a building to our own artistic integrity. We don't care about their budget. We don't care about those timelines of theirs. We'll go over the timeline. We'll go over budget. We don't care. We just want to appease ourselves to say, we built this amazing structure. Put our names on it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And I said, and he said, they think we're not going to return their phone calls. We're not going to return their emails. We're not going to, you know what I mean? We don't care because that's business stuff. That's not part of what we do. And so I said, are you unreliable? And he said, no, we're very reliable. And I said, great. I want you to go around and collect every fact, figure, statistic, insight, and story that shows you're reliable. And we're going to put them together in one sheet. Now, yeah. that one sheet may be one page or two pages or three pages, but essentially it's going to be kind of a script yeah. that people are going to have to substantiate that you're reliable. We're only going to use ideas, insights, and stories that show you're reliable on it. If it's not showing you're reliable, we're not going to use it. 
So it ended up sounding like this. It said, we're the reliable industrial architect firm. We've been in business for almost 20 years. In 20 years, we've done almost 4,000 projects. We have 214 repeat clients, including the first client who ever hired us when we opened our door 20 years ago, the Lakewood School District. They're still our client today. On the commercial side, we have such prominent companies as Merck, Siba Geige, Paul Miller, Bentley, Rolls-Royce. On the industrial side, we have uh, we have the Mendham Police Department and the Wharton Fire Department. We have 24 people working here. On average, they've been in the industry for over 12 years, and they've been with us for over seven years. As a matter of fact, last year, we were voted New Jersey Business Monthly Magazine to their 10 best places to work in New Jersey. We have these certifications. We have the, And I said to him, that's all great facts and figures that substantiate that you're reliable. Do you have any stories? And again, this had also, right, so getting back to the point of this whole thing of what we're talking about, uh, he said, I have, I, I have so many stories to tell you that we're relevant, that we're about being reliable. And I said, tell me one story. And he said, here's one story really quick. He said, there was a guy who was not even our prospect, was not even our client yet. He was a prospect, but he called me. I had given him my cell phone number. He called me late one night, one Sunday night at about 1030 at night. And it was raining out. It was, and he called and he was in a panic. He said, tomorrow I have two closings happening. I'm selling my office building at 9 a.m., right? We're closing on that. And then I'm closing on a new building in the afternoon. I'm taking the money from the morning sale and rolling it over and buying a bigger, better building in the afternoon. But I'm just looking over the closing papers for my morning sale. And I suddenly see that I need the height and width of my building. Uh, I need to have it written in specifically in my closing papers. Otherwise, I'm afraid that the closing won't go through. I didn't know I needed those things. I only see that now. So I'm in hysterics because I think my morning closing won't happen. And that means the afternoon closing won't happen. And I might lose everything with that. So the, so the industrial architect, architect said, don't worry about it. Get an umbrella. It's raining out. I'll meet you at your building at midnight. I'll meet you in 90 minutes at midnight. They met at his building at midnight. They went up the building. The guy opened the building for him. They went up to the roof and the industrial architect had brought a laser measuring device with him. And he measured the height and the width of the building and he hand wrote it into the closing papers and all the closings went off as planned. Wow. And he said, there's one story. And I said, great, I want you to put that story. You don't have to include all the detail. I want you to put that along with all the other stuff the 20 years, 214 repeat clients. I want you to put that in the differentiation cheat sheet. And I want everyone in the organization to know that stuff. Uh, the CEO, the people who sell, the drafts people, the architects, the people answering the phone. So anytime they want to brag about the organization, they have ideas, insights, and stories to brag from. Yeah. Where am I going with this, Chris? Why did I tell this whole long drawn out thing? One is, I think it's super cool, and that's how you go about differentiation. And I find people don't know how to do it, and they don't do a good enough job on it. You need that level of specificity. But the reason why I told you about the differentiation cheat sheet is that it's facts, figures, and stories yeah. all yeah. around one idea. Why? Because 
different people take to different forms of communication. Yeah. So if you're speaking to people about how reliable you are and you start to tell 214 repeat clients and their eyes start glazing over it's right. Let me tell you a story about how reliable we are. This guy wasn't even a client of ours. And here's what happened. He's going to lose everything. And here's what happened. Blah, blah, blah. Oh my God. You know, like that's what it is that you're looking for. You're going for that freak out, right? Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. So, so there's something very, very practical there that we can do with this. We can, uh, we, we, we find that we find that angle, and we we um, build together facts, figures, and uh, stories to support it. Right, because different people want to hear different things. Yes. I know when it comes to me, when I'm hiring someone, because I hire people to help me do things. I just want to trust you. If I trust you that you know what you're doing, like in other words, I investigate, you know, like I speak to people. If I trust that you know what you're doing, I don't really want to know what it is you're doing. I just want you to create the result for me. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, in other words, if you start to tell me long, complex frameworks, it's cool for me to know you have frameworks. It's like, oh, yeah, we have these frameworks that help us go blah, blah, blah. I'm great. I trust you. Go ahead and do it. Use your frameworks. But if you start to tell me about the frameworks in tremendous detail, I would actually stop you. Yeah. I'd say, this is not denting my, my consciousness. I, it's not going anywhere. It's like, you had me sold already. You don't have to tell me this stuff. Just yeah. get me the result I'm hiring you for. Yes. Yes. So you've also, I think you've also uh, shared there, um, you know, that I can imagine that sheet being highly, highly helpful for your website. Right. Interesting. Say more about that. I think I understand what you mean. Well, I, I, I think, you know, sharing on your website, some helpful facts, figures, stats, uh, you know, to, so when people are looking at that, it differentiates, you know, that story on there, that you, the stories you mentioned there with the, you know, the industrial architect that could be on a website. Well, it's interesting that you, that you say that because I'm investigating a specific field of content creators, like people who create content for a living, it's like its whole industry. So I'm investigating it. And I notice that an aesthetic that virtually everyone in that field uses, you know, who has podcasts, you would be considered a content creator. Yeah. Like people who have podcasts, people who write blogs, all these things that, that a lot of people use the number of subscribers as a statistic like, in other words, it's almost the foremost thing on almost everyone's site. Like, so-and-so, newsletter X, I have 18,000 subscribers. Yeah. Newsletter, whatever, you know, that they almost use the figure above everything else. Mm. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying, um, you know, uh, uh, but like, like again, different things. Uh, different different approaches to ideas appeal to people different ways. You kind of need to be prepared to persuade every different type of learning style out there. Yes. You need to think about it ahead of time. And you may need to throw a bunch of stuff out at people. Like, let's say you were pitching or you were selling from the stage. You might need to say, oh yeah, here's facts. Here's figures, here's a story. You might, you, you wanna make sure that you have your bases covered. Otherwise you are bound to 
come across at least one person who didn't hear what you had to say. They heard it, but they had zero connection with it. They yes. would never be able to repeat it. Yes. Yes. And that's a really, really, really important. We've only got a couple of minutes now left till the end of the interview. So um, I'm just wondering oh, if you've got, yeah, have you got any final messages that you might like to leave us with? Well, if I do have final messages, I need to relay them to you in facts, figures, and stories mm. so that the right people uh, uh, out there. Well, we, so we started off with this, you know, um, it was all about this concept of relevancy and how to keep something relevant. And uh, if, if that seems gimmicky or something, it really remember that relevance all comes down to meaning. And so if you're find, you're finding that what you're selling or what you're doing is not selling to the degree that it should, or it's not getting you the respect or the money that you think that it is you need. There, it is something to do with you need to understand what meaning is for the other people in the situation. Yes. I don't mean that you just have to play to them and ignore yes. what's important to you, but you need to instantly say, what is meaning for me and what is meaning for them is obviously different. Yeah. Where is the difference? I was, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, um, it's the idea of, Something here is broken. A guy named Chris Gillibo had said to me once, like in talking about a situation, something, something here is not working. What's not working and how do we make it work? So that has to do with meaning. Something here is not being meaningful. What is going to be meaningful? Yeah, yeah. Mark, what, what a pleasure to have you uh, talk to us about relevancy. It's been highly relevant yet again. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I, I do hope... Um, I remain your favorite presenter on the Business Elevation Show, as there's only one of us. That occasionally, though, we have one or two others. Um, so I hope that continues into the future. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been a, a pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed uh, the conversation today. I loved it. Uh, thank you. And thanks to everyone. <laughs> You're welcome. And any questions, comments, chris at chriscooper.co.uk. And look forward to... Uh, to another show next week but um do uh yeah do, do feedback if you've enjoyed that we do i do love to hear from you we thank you for listening to the chris cooper business elevation show please join your host chris cooper again next friday at 8 a.m u.s pacific time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.